Hello, Sawona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. This morning, we're kicking off with the word became flesh. That's the topic for today. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it. Let's go to the Gospel of John. We're going to read John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, and we're going to read from 10 to 14 as well. It's not all going to come up on the screen, so if you do have a Bible, it will be good for you to open it up and and follow along. So John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, our topic today, the Word became flesh. Before we read, let's just pray our prayer before we get into the Word. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good and that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, it brings healing, it brings direction, and so we treasure your word more than our daily bread. And we boldly confess this morning that our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go. John chapter 1, verse 1. Are you there? All right. In the beginning was? And the Word was? And the Word was? And a great light seen in the heavens. (laughs) In the beginning was the Word. You know the song. Come on. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God in a great light seen in the heavens. That's why I'm not in the worship team, okay? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's jump to verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Can you say through him? And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word, let's read it together, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Profound. Profound. Don't you love John? John's gospel is incredible, man. You know, the other gospels kind of are called the synoptics. They, they follow the same sort of pattern of telling more stories. And, but John is allegorical. He's metaphorical. John is out there. He's so deep. He's so intense. There's so, just even the way he starts this is in the beginning. You know, that's where he goes. Now, let's just focus on that first couple of verses there, that it, one, verse one, all right? It says, in the beginning was, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning was the Word. I mean, what a profound statement. But what is John doing in this verse? I mean, if you could imagine being a a Jew reading this for the first time, what immediately goes off in your mind when you hear the words, in the beginning? 
What are you, what are you, what scripture are you thinking about? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? In the beginning, God, not the Word. What is John doing in this passage? You know, every child, Jewish child, was raised, like all the boys, girls, everyone, they would learn to quote the scripture from a young age. One of the, the very first scripture that they would learn is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here's John kicking off his gospel with, with that, that phrase, in the beginning. What? But he's saying not God, he's saying in the beginning was the word. What is John doing in this passage? What, like this is, is he adding to the word of God? I mean, if you've, this is the first time you've read this and all you've known is Genesis chapter one and verse one, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Now you're reading John and it's like in the beginning the word. Like what, what is he doing in this passage? Is he adding to the scriptures? Is he bringing a new layer to the scriptures? a new understanding of God in these scriptures? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. In fact, John is giving us a very exciting, dynamic, incredible interpretation of Genesis chapter 1. He's bringing a new dimension to it. And when he says these words in the beginning, the word, what is that word, the word? It's the word logos in the Greek. Okay, so in the beginning was the logos. And when we look at the New Testament, what do we see about this word called logos? It is the word, it's, this word is actually used like three, over 300 times in, in just the New Testament, the word logos, all right, the Greek word. And when you go and look at, well, okay, John is using this word, in the beginning was the logos, and then we go read the rest of the New Testament and we go look at, okay, where's all the logos been used? Where's this word been used? And we look at, well, some sort of meaning to try and see what, what John meant. What we notice is that this word is very boring and very ordinary and it means word. <laughs> it means literally word. It's, it's, that's all it means. So you'll see sometimes where Jesus spoke a word to someone. And it literally means either he spoke a sermon or he gave them some information or something like that, or Jesus gave a command to someone, he gave them a logos, or someone shared a word, a testimony, it was a logos. So it's a command, a word, a testimony. It's just a very ordinary word in, 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 in the language, all right, that was there in the Greek language. But is this what John meant when he, when he chose this word logos? The answer is no. He actually meant something far more profound with it because actually logos is a layered word. It can either be something very simple, like it just means a word, or it can be something extremely philosophical, extremely spiritual, something extremely profound as well. And it's in that sense that John used this word logos. But in order to kind of understand what, what he meant, what, what is this deeper meaning, what we have to do is we have to go back in time. 
And we have to jump into the first century when John was writing these words. And we have to look at the culture and the language of the first couple centuries of, of Greeks and Romans and Jews. And, and we've got to immerse ourselves in some of the philosophy. And we've got to immerse ourselves in some of the, the writings of, of Hebrew philosophers and Greek philosophers. And what we notice when we jump into the first century, when we go back, if you could just imagine for a moment, you're back in time, you're in that time now. This word logos is used in that time in a profound way. In fact, the Greeks, this is how the, so if you, if you look at the, that, the world in that time, all right, in that, in that first century, what was that world? The world was, was Roman controlled. But remember, the Romans had conquered the Greeks. They had taken over. The Greeks were the, the ruling empire, and the Romans conquered the Greeks. And even though the, wrong, the Romans conquered the Greeks physically, a lot of historians say actually the Greeks conquered the Romans intellectually because the Greek language survived. The Greek way of life, the Greek philosophy, the Greek teaching survived through. In fact, it actually kind of morphed into the Roman culture. And so, and so what you see is in this first century, the, the prevailing mindset of the time is Greek, the Greek mindset. And the way Greeks looked at the world is the Greek philosophers would all look at the world and they would go, wow, look at this world. It's, it's, there's, there's stars and there's planets and, and, and the earth and, and the sun rises every single morning and sets every single evening. There's this, this kind of rhythm to the world and the stars stay in their, in their orbits. And, and when we look at nature, what we see is, is also the symbiotic relationship between different natural systems where things kind of follow order. And they ask the question, well, why does the world seem to have order to it? Why is there not just chaos? And why is like a star not just crashing in the earth and one day we wake up and the sun didn't get up? You know, what, what is this order that is keeping the world together? That was like the starting question of philosophy and knowledge for them. And they also looked at themselves and they said, well, look at us, mankind. We also seem to have reason. We have this ability to learn. We have this ability to have a conscience, to know the difference between something that's right and something that's wrong. There's this innate wisdom that's placed in us that's not placed in other creatures. There's something special and different about us. What, why are we not just chaotic, crazy people? Why do we bring order? Why do we bring structure to the world? Why do we think logically? Why, why is there this conscience in us between right and wrong? And if you had to go to any Greek or actually any Roman who was, you know, in that time as well, and you had to ask them that question, and you had to say, what is the answer between the order in the universe? What is the answer between, because, because of the order that exists in your own heart? And undoubtedly, without a shadow of doubt, every Greek would have answered you, it's the Logos. They would have said that, so, so for the Greeks, Logos was just a simple word, but it, but it also has a much deeper meaning, a profound meaning, because Logos means, like Legos, is, means collection. Who played with Legos? All right, a few of us, all right. Legos are crazy. Like, you have a collection of Legos. So a Logos, it has this collection orientation, so it's a collection of thoughts. It's a, it's a, it's a thesis. It's a code. It's a divine wisdom, it's a divine sense of knowledge that is governing everything around us and upholding the entire universe, including us, and it lives in us as, human as humanity. This is what the Logos 
meant to them. And so when John says, in the beginning was the, the word, the logos, what are you saying? It was in the beginning was there this divine plan, this divine order, this divine mind, this, uh, this code, this power that brings order to the entire universe was right there in the beginning. And it was with God and it, and it was God. He's saying God is the Logos. All right, that's what he's trying to do to his audience. So his first audience, we can imagine, might be Greek. And he's saying God is the Logos. But also, if you go into that first century and what you, you dive into, if you look at Hebrews, what you also notice about Hebrew culture and Hebrew philosophical thought, like Hebrew philosophers like Philo and, and others, what you find out is that they also use this word Logos to denote the same thing. Because Hebrews believed that the Torah, or the Word of God, the first five books of the Bible, they actually believed that it was pre-existent. Max, can I just have your Bible for a second? I just feel like I need to hold something while I'm doing this so we can, so we can look. This is a well-worn Bible, huh? Men, all we want to say is this is the type of wife you want. For those unmarried men, this is, this is the type of, if, you, if you're even thinking about a girl, this is what her Bible needs to look like, okay? <laughs> I've got to be careful, nothing falls out of here, okay? <laughs> Lots of prayers. Oh, dear Lord, please help my husband. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like I, like I almost had a heart attack there. He's like, don't read that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Jewish believers, all right, they, they believe that the word, just imagine that this is the word as given to Moses, this is, and even the prophets, it's all here, okay, this is the Old Testament. They believe that this was pre-existent, that before Moses had it in his hands, it was where? With God. When? In the beginning. You mean before creation? Yes, before creation. Because why? Because God is a God in Hebrew mind and Christian thought. He's a God who knows the end from the beginning, which means he has a plan of how it's going to all end, and then he starts. So the word was where? It was with God. It was in the beginning, okay? It was preexistent. So they believe that before Moses actually held that, those tablets, before he actually held those five books of the Bible in his hand, and they were actually then able to transfer it to somebody else, it existed with God. And so they even believe that Abraham had it, Isaac had it, Jacob had it. They believe Adam had it in the garden. They believe that, that Noah had it. You know, when Noah puts the, the animals on the ark, right? This is pre-Moses, right? We've been talking about Noah here. When he puts the animals on the ark, guess what? He puts them in. Divided by clean and unclean. Well, that's interesting. Where did clean and unclean come from? It was, came in the Torah. So Noah had something of the Torah before the Torah was incarnated. So what Moses received was basically an incarnated book. <laughs> the code, the divine wisdom of God that speaks into the governance of the world and how we should order our lives. 
It's the code of how to think. So imagine it's like this. You, you, uh, you have a phone, okay? You look at your phone, and, and, you, and all your apps are there, and it's nice and neat. Well, I'm talking for iOS anyway, okay? <clears throat> and... Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there's like a logical way to, to work with your phone, and it's, it's not hard to work that out. You can swipe, you can tap, you can... There's, there seems to be like this logic, and it's all nice and neat, and it's colorful, but how many of you know that there is something behind that that's holding it together? It's the power of iOS. <laughs> Holding, holding, there's a computer code by which everything in there finds its place and best use and function. If there's something on here that's causing chaos, what do we call that? A virus. What is, it, what is that doing? It's, 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 it's working against the code. It's not coming in line with the divine code, and therefore it's a virus. It's actually causing damage and not harm. Think about humanity for a moment and let that sink in. What will these apps do? Will we find the divine code and find the place in the code and the makeup and the divine wisdom of God and allow it to flow through us and find our place and structure in it, or will we be contrary to it? In which case we are, and God regretted that he had made mankind, for every intention and thought of his heart was evil in the days of Noah. And so he started again. So when the Jews had this book, you must understand you, mean, you look through Jewish culture, even to this very day, thousands of years later, post-Moses, when this book is opened, they kiss it. When they read from it, they don't even touch it with their fingers. They use one of these, like, pointers, all right? When they finish, they kiss it again. Why? Well, because it's revealed from God. It was, it's the blueprint on how to do life. People, without this, we're lost. Without this, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do marriage. We don't know how to do family. We don't know how to do kids. We don't know how to do society. We don't know how to do government. We don't know how to do finances. We don't know how to do anything. This is it. This is the code. This is the blueprint. This is the, the manual on how to do life. And so there is this deep reverence and respect for it over the centuries and how to interpret it and how to copy it and reproducing. So today... You can be sure that, the, that this Bible is the original thing that was actually given to, to, given to Moses <clears throat> because of all the standards that were put in place. Why? Out of incredible reverence because they believed that there was something holding this all together. And God had revealed it to us through this code. And so that's what they were holding in their mind. So, so in Jewish culture, Logos was very familiar to them. And in fact, if you have Jews and you have Greeks, this would almost be like a bridge between the two cultures. This is like they would speak about Logos and we'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's Torah. That's Torah. We, we, we say the same. There is something holding this all together. The reason why we do have the ability to know the difference between wrong and right is because of this. So there was this bridge between the two of them, and I want you to notice in this passage how John brings them together so beautifully, speaking to both Jewish and Greek by saying, in the beginning, Hebrew, there was the Logos, Greek, <laughs> and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. 
Greek, all right? That's, so he's linking the two cultures together in this amazing thing. It's interesting that even when you look at the writings of Solomon in um, Proverbs chapter 8, I have a, a passage up there. Um, Solomon is writing this, and, and look at what he says here. He says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. In the beginning, before there was ever an earth, I was established. Who is this I, pray do tell? <laughs> Who is talking here? From the beginning, before there was an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. I was beside him as what? A master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Who is speaking here in Proverbs under the wisdom of Solomon? Who is, who is actually talking here? So Solomon says it's wisdom. All right, he personifies wisdom in this passage. I mean, he's talking about wisdom. Wisdom was there. He might as well have said Logos was there. It's the same thing, okay? So John is not saying something foreign to his readers when he opens his gospel here. In fact, what he was doing, actually, at the end of the day, was he was appealing to what they knew in order to explain who Jesus was. He was saying, guys, you've been talking about this Logos for centuries. You've been writing about Logos. You've been philosophizing about Logos. You've been thinking about this divine code and this divine wisdom. And, and, and Hebrews, you've been talking about wisdom from the beginning that was with God, that was actually involved in creation. Let me introduce him to you. Jesus is his name. He takes a concept that they knew and he says, this is Jesus to you. This is what you've been looking for. It's kind of, kind of similar to, you know, New Age philosophy today. How many of you know New Age philosophy? Like the people who believe in the universe and energy. And I was at this gathering a while back, and, and there was this, you know, it wasn't a Christian gathering at all, secular in every way, and somebody opened with a prayer. And I was like, whoa, somebody's opening with a prayer in a irreligious, secular setting. This is amazing. And then he proceeded to read this beautiful prayer. Like it was so well constructed. And I was just like, this, is, this Christian is bold, man. This guy is like, he's just going for it. He's praying this prayer. And at the end, he finished. I'm like, I'm in this prayer now. I'm like, yes, God, like touch these people all around us, you know, like, like do something amazing here. This is a moment. And then at the end of the prayer, he says, we ask all of this in the name of the great universe, amen. And I was like, huh? I was like, what? <laughs> In the name of the great universe. Yes, that's what New Age philosophy believes. They're, they they like very similar to Greek philosophy in that they, there is some order there holding this all together. There has to be a mind behind our minds. There, is, there must be something out there. And, and so they, they personify the universe and say there's this universal mind that's out there that's kind of determining the way things work. Um, or there's this energy, and so it would be the same as, as John saying to them, hey guys, you know you talk about this universal mind? 
John was in our day, he'd be like, hey guys, I know you talk about like in the name of the universe and this great universal mind and this energy. Let me introduce him to you. It's Jesus. He is the one who created and sustained and built and, and provided. And he said things like, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die, but have life everlasting. In other words, you will have continual states of energy, energy that won't be exhausted. Contrary to what you're experiencing now, you're talking about energy, you need energy, you want energy, energy flows through you, that's awesome. Jesus has everlasting energy. All right, even still, he said, rivers of living water will flow from your innermost being, from those who believe in me. He was talking about the Spirit of God, which actually, hey, guys, just so you know, God will give you power to live. He gives energy <laughs> through his Holy Spirit. So it's taking the word, taking the language and the culture, and he's putting it together to try and build a bridge and say, Jesus is what you're looking for. What are you looking for? In fact, if you look at the whole of the Gospel of John, what is John doing the whole way through the Gospel? He's basically saying, this is who Jesus is. In the beginning, he introduces us as Jesus to us as the Logos. Then he introduces us to as, as, as the water, right, living water. Then he introduces him to us as the bread, the bread of life, the light, um, the, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, if the good shepherd. You just go through the whole gospel of John. There's all these metaphors, these pictures of who Jesus is. He's light. He's living water. He's the bread of life. He's, he's, he's basically throwing out there, what, what do you think or imagine God to be in you and your situation? Let me tell you something. You will find it all in Jesus. Are you looking for light? You know, there's lights. Oh, we love lights and lights, you know, light leads and all that stuff. Listen, I'll introduce you to the light of the world. <laughs> and if you believe in him, your light will not go out because <laughs> in him is the light of man. <laughs> so, so can you see what John's doing? And he writes his entire gospel in, in chapter 20, right towards the end. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that in him you may have life eternal. These things are written that you may believe what? That Jesus is the Christ. That's his whole purpose of his gospel. And so when he arrives in chapter 1 and verse 1 and he says, in the beginning was the Logos, we know now what he's trying to do. <laughs> Amen? We know what he's trying to do. And you know what? It's such a profound truth that we could just, we could, I mean, we could just, there's so much in this passage we, we need to carry on, but it's such a profound truth. I think we just need to pause on it for a moment. Like, we've still got to get further here, and I hope you're okay, and the Holy Spirit's cooling you down. He is our cloud, amen? <laughs> but that's just profound. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning, and through him, everything was created that was made. There's nothing that was made that hasn't been made that was made through Jesus. Like, Paul agrees with this. In, in, his, in his passage in Colossians 1, verse 16 to 20, he says the following, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16. Guys, this is so profound. Who made everything? Have a good look at the person next to you. And let me read these lines. Look at, look at somebody. Just look at them in the eyes, okay? And, and I'm going to read this. All people were created through him 
and for Him. Even the person you're looking at now. When you look in the mirror, all things were created through Him and you were created through Him and for Him. iOS, Logos. In other words, you will not find your place in the matrix <laughs> until you find Him and your place in Him. All things were made through Him and for Him. When you align with that, you align with the life you were meant to live. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says the following, For through Him, God, talking about Jesus, God created the panorama of all things and all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's nature, His mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of His spoken word. Huh? Huh? Can you see Logos in there? Holds the universe together. Who is holding this all together? Jesus. Jesus is holding the universe together and expanding it. How? Through the mighty word of his power. This is incredible. Jesus said this. In John. Why, why, why are they writing about Jesus like this? John 8, 58, because Jesus said it. Jesus said to them, I give you this eternal truth. I have existed long before Abraham was born, for I am. <laughs> and we see these theophanies in the Old Testament. What's a theophany? A theophany is the angel of the Lord or the Lord showing up throughout the Old Testament, talking to Abraham, talking to Moses, talking to Elijah, talking to the angel of the Lord showing up to Gideon, or the angel of the Lord. Who is this angel of the Lord? Who is this angel of the Lord that keeps popping up in the Old Testament that's the Lord, but like not the Lord, or is the Lord? What, what, what is this? If I was a Jew, I'd be so confused. And then when I read John's gospel, I'd be like, oh, it's him. It's him. He's the one who's been popping up all the time. He was the one in the beginning that was with God, creating everything. He is the one who made all of this. This is all for him and to him. It's all found in Jesus. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. <laughs> we could leave it right there, hey. But the purpose of this morning is not to just give you a higher definition for the, this word logos. All right, that's, what I, I, that's awesome. I want you to leave here with that. But that's not the entire goal of why we gathered this morning. There's a deeper truth that this now builds on. You need to know that in order to read verse 14. What is verse 14? Come on, let's read it out. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Logos became flesh. The divine counsel, the divine mind, the wisdom of God, the creator and sustainer of all things 
became flesh and dwelt. The word dwelt there is the word tabernacled. Literally means to pitch a tent. Okay? It, what? It pitched a tent amongst us, which is just language that then John is using to link his Hebrew audience to the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon, this, the way God resided. Now God is residing in the person of Jesus. The Word becomes flesh. This, in terms of the incarnation, is incredible. But we just have to push that aside for a moment because that's a Christmas message, okay? And we've done Christmas. Amen, we've done Christmas. What else we find here is that this word, this logos becoming flesh, besides the incarnation, is extremely profound. What does it say to us? It says that what was invisible... And in the mind of God, unseen became seen, visible, tangible, real. We could touch and feel what the logos, the mind of God, the mind of God can manifest in the natural realm. The thoughts of God and the plans of God and the wisdom of God is not there to just keep our minds entertained with ideas and philosophy and theory. They are to become real, tangible. They are to become flesh in our lives. God moves from the unseen to the seen, from the invisible to the visible, from plans to fruition. Amen. The Word, the Logos, the idea, the divine wisdom, the divine counsel, the plan of God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. What does this mean? It means that everything in this word is not theory. <laughs> it's real. And it's looking for expression in the natural world. God created theory. In your life, seems to be a little bit of a mess. Can he bring some creation? Can he bring some new opportunities? Can he bring new things in your life this year? Is he still creating? Can those creative ideas of God become flesh in your life? God heals. Awesome. Theory. Divine wisdom. Truth. Can that manifest in my flesh? Can it manifest in my body? of those around me. Can you see that there is a gap between theory and reality? This is where you come in. Jesus said, if my words abide, if this can get into you, if the theory can 
govern the way you think. That's a great thing because in the mind of, in your mind and in your thoughts and in your heart, if you can contain the plans and the intentions of God in the heart, if you can sow them in there like seeds, guess what? They're looking to become flesh in your life. If you don't see any sort of flesh or fruit in your life, you've got to go back to this and you've got to start to sow this in here because guess what you are? You are a reproducer of God-likeness on earth. You are made in the image of God. Hallelujah. And so when you plug into the divine mind, the divine counsel, the will of God, and it begins to saturate your mind, thoughts, and emotions, guess what? It looks for expression. It doesn't just stay as theory. It looks for expression. This is why God said to Joshua before he went into the promised land, meditate on my word day and night and be careful to obey everything that's in, in it because then you will in practice, in theory, deal wisely and have good success. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1 says, meditate on, blessed is the man who meditates on my word day and night, putting the logos, the divine will, the divine counsel of God into him because he will be like, in reality, a tree that's planted by streams of living water, ready to bring forth fruit in its season. The word becomes flesh in our lives. It's incredible. Jesus. I'm going to leave you with the Psalm 139. We're going to wrap it with this. Psalm 139, it says the following. Can we read it together? I think I've got it. Yes. Let's read up there together. And in your book, they all were written. Ah, are you reading? Are you reading? It's just check everyone's awake. Just pick the person next to you is awake. This is powerful. They need to hear this. You need to hear this. At your own lips. And... In your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. I want to release that over your life and let it set the tone for your year. I want to just release that over you. Saints, this is a word. I'm, I'm releasing it over your life. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come and imprint it in your mind and heart. I'm asking Him to heal you where you might have forgotten this. In your book, <laughs> in your logos, <laughs> in your divine mind, in your divine counsel. All the days of your life were written when you hadn't even yet been born. How precious are your logos, your thoughts to me, O oh God, how great is the sum of them. I want you to know today, you're not an accident. I don't care what's happened in the last couple of years. <laughs> I don't care what you've even experienced in your life. I want you to know truth today. You're not an accident. You were in the mind of God. He thought about you, and he constructed days for you, and he wrote them all down in a book, in a logos. And guess what? 
He wants it to become flesh. As Jesus was written about in the Old Testament, ah, Jesus, as Jesus was written about in, in the Old Testament, every single prophetic word concerning him, and then they became flesh. And he lived them out. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only speak what I hear the Father saying. I'm sticking to the logos. I'm sticking to the plan. I'm not deviating to the right or to the left. You can come to me with some other new idea. You can tell me who you think you, I might be, but let me tell you something. I know the logos for my life. I know what he's called me to do with my life, and I live out my logos. I live out my plan. I live out my purpose. I think God has so many thoughts towards you. He has, so, he has plans for your life. And he wants them to become flesh. He wants you to become the man he thought about. He wants you to become the woman he thought about. He wants you to become the father he thought about. He wants you to become the actor or the dancer or the writer or the lawyer or the attorney or whatever that you, he thought about. He wants you to take the divine counsel, the logos, and flesh it. <laughs> Let it become flesh in your life. Amen. Amen. Let's leave it there. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.